Let's talk to God. Um, Heavenly Father, I, I pray that you be with us today. Help us to, to hear from you as, as, um, as we hear the word. Help us to focus on you, bring our hearts and minds into a place where, where um, you know, we, we know you more by hearing your word today. Help me to not get in the way of, of your voice and, and what you're doing, Lord. Help me not to, not to quench the spirit or to, to put my own self in this message. Help me to just preach the word, Lord. I pray that folks who are here would hear from you and, and know you more intimately by hearing, hearing the Word of God today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so my slides are already acting up. I will restart them. There they are. Um, we'll see if we can get this to work right today. Um, so one of the things, all right, I'm, I'm a parent. I know some of you all are, are aware of that. Um, and one of the cool things my kids do, not cool, obnoxious, uh, things that my children do, um, and Titus is doing it more now. Abby's kind of grown out of it. Um, like he will, um, he'll decide he doesn't like something I'm doing, right? And he'll come to me and he'll say, "Dad, you are the meanest parent in this house because blank. You won't let me have candy. I can't eat cake right now. I can't, you know, get cookies. You won't let me watch TV. You won't." Or I'll say, you know, come to me, Dad, can I watch TV? No, you can't watch TV. Why don't you go play? I hate playing, and I, don't, I love Mom more now. And I know that's not true. Uh, <laughs> it, the now part, she, he always loves her more. <laughs> but, like, like, he'll do this thing where, where, and I think other parents in the room, every little kid does this, right? They go through this phase of, I'm going to leverage my affection and my opinion of you in favor of what you do and how you do it, you know. And, and sometimes it's, you know, oh, you're the best parent ever because I got toys. Or, you know, because I, I didn't get something at the store today, you're, you're mean. You're, you're, and and, and it, it's, it's childish, right? I mean, sometimes you see folks who will do more sophisticated versions of this as adults, you know, where they, well, honey, you, you did this and I don't like it and so I really don't care for you right now. Or, you know, where they'll, they'll sort of leverage. But that's a pretty dysfunctional thing. Most people grow out of that after a certain point. You all with me? Um, we are, we're working through the Psalms and uh, we're on Psalm 4. We're going to be doing Psalms for a big chunk of the summer. And Psalm 4 is, um, Psalm 4 is a psalm about that. This tendency of, like, where we approach God and we say, well, what have you done for me lately? Right? You know, well, well, where are you today? What am I getting out of this today? Or how is this working out in my favor right now? And instead of saying, well, you're God, and you're God whether life is good or whether life is bad. You know, we don't, whether we stand with Job and say, even though he slays me, I will praise him. You know, th- this, this psalm is about that tendency. And it's about farmers. So listen up. Um, I, I looked at a bunch of different understandings of this text. I think the farmer understanding is the best one. And so we're going to be talking about that. Um, so Psalm 4, um, just real quick background, understanding the Psalms. Um, the Psalms are harder to preach, and a lot of times like it's easy to avoid them because, um, because we either want to English teacher them, as Michael accuses me sometimes, you know, or we, it becomes all about, you know, well, and this is the author's intent and the symbolism and you know it, it, it they're not to be dissected that way they are songs to be 
like emotionally enjoyed and intellectually like they're supposed to feed us. It is sort of the grand union of um, of of the you know the, the brain and the heart, right? And and so as we understand the Psalms, as we read them, we have to put all that together. And they're kind of hard to to do as a result. Um, They're also divided up into books. And they're organized in a certain way, not necessarily chronologically. So Psalm 3 and 4, before we go forward, like Psalms 3 and 4, were originally, like probably not right next to each other. When the book of Psalms was assembled, the guy who did it said, Psalm 3 is a good morning psalm. And we did that last week, and he talks about, you know, I go to sleep at night and I rise again in the morning because you sustain me. And, and that is a, you know, they would use it in worship early in the morning, and they did that in temple services for a long time. And actually, early Christian communities did the same thing. They would read Psalm 3 first thing in the morning, and then they would do Psalm 4 at night because Psalm 4 is the night sermon. Got it? So, like, understand as we, like, go through this, historically, this has been an end-of-the-day Um, you're done with your work, you've got all of this stress on you that you've carried home from from the office or or whatever, you know, like it's King David writing, so, you know, it's it's from, I don't know, where do kings go? From the court or, anyway. Um, (laughs) So so this is an end-of-the-day psalm. Um, King David, like the situation he's facing, some people have argued, oh, well, this is, more of the Absalom rebellion. In, that's a possibility. Um, there's a strong case to be made for the fact that this is during a time of um, drought or like where the farms aren't working out. And I know that's a really foreign thing and we've got to like really use our imaginations to figure out what it's like when it won't rain and things won't grow or when hail falls and it kills everything or when there's, you know, soft lies or I, I, soft lies are probably mentioned in the Bible somewhere. Um, or, or whatever, you know, this is, this is during a time when everybody is up in arms because they're running short on food or because it looks like there's going to be some, some hard times ahead because of, of, um, shortage that, that comes out of like the growing season. And so we're diving into this, um, the prescript for this Psalm for the director of music with string instruments, a Psalm of David. Now, what do we get out of this? First off, it's a song, Right. Like, we read the psalm sometimes, we think it's a poem. It's not a poem. It's a song, right? And Selah appears in this, which means stop and break, right? And we'll, we'll see those as we go. Um, David wrote this. It was originally done with stringed instruments. So this is a choral piece. Everybody would play and sing, and this is a worship thing. It would be, you know, Larry up front, ancient Jewish Larry up front playing guitar, and they would sing. Um, nothing. No response. Golly. <laughs> Um, so, uh, David starts, answer me when I call you my righteous God. Now, um, I'm, I'm preaching from the NIV this morning and there's some, some good things and some less than ideal things in the NIV translation here. Um, answer me when I call is like a direction. It is God answer me. You know, it is a God, like, please talk to me. God, please come around and meet my need. Um, it seems presumptuous in talking to God, but I, I think this isn't a spot where life is miserable, right? And, and he's singing about the fact that life is, you know, hard right now, and it's, God, where are you? Come on. I, I need you now. Um, my righteous God. Now, here's where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw a little bit of distinction. Um, a lot of translations render this, 
the God of my righteousness, um, the way it's phrased in this, in this passage, it's not referring to God as righteous, but it's referring to his own righteousness, meaning like that God has come along and said, you are good and you are right before me. And that's important because it's going to play out all through this song, right? He says, answer me when I call God who declares me righteous. Give me relief from my distress and have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Um, real quick before we go any further, anybody ever relate to that? God, give me some relief from my distress. The, the Hebrew there actually means give me some space, God. I'm feeling like pent up, right? Anybody ever feel that way? Where it feels like there's so much garbage around you that's pushing in and so much pressure and so much stress and it is everywhere. And God, give me some space and have mercy on me and hear my prayer. By the way, hear my prayer. The word there is Shema um, that's translated hear my prayer. And like um, there's a famous phrase, the Shema, right? Um, hear, hear, O Israel. Um, the Lord your God is one. You shall have no other God before him. Like it's like this phrase that you – anyway – um, the word Shema is like a, like a direction that requires response. Um, it is a, I'm telling you to do this and you better do it. Like, hear my prayer. God, hear my prayer. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Hear it. Um, how long, how long will you people turn my glory into shame? So he starts out talking to God and then David turns and he starts talking to the noblemen. Right. And specifically, he is talking to the wealthy. The word people there, um, again, is translated a bunch of different ways. But like the the way that it's phrased out, you know, in in Hebrew means like you people who are like set above. Um, It's Psalm 62. The same word is used next to a word that's used for common men. And that's how we know like this is like translationally like like you people, you people in my court, you people in leadership, you wealthy folks like. How long are you going to turn my glory into shame? Um, now, my glory is talking about God, right? We talked about that in Psalm 3. Um, David pretty routinely talks about his own glory being God. Like, so he's saying, listen, you folks are offending God's glory here. Like, you, How long are you going to do this nonsense? How long are you going to tick God off? How long are you going to get in his face? How long are you going to trip him up or try to trip him up? You can't trip God. Um, how long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Um, delusions means empty things. How long will you love empty things and seek false gods is a translation based on like the fact that they're talking about sort of pagan worship throughout this song. The proper translation here, like most translations carry, is seek after lies, right? And some folks have read that to mean, well, how long will you lie about me? And it's actually not what he's saying. Um, what's going on is these wealthy folks, like the rich people in the world, in this in Israel at the time, had reached this point where they're looking at the hardship coming, and they said, "You know what? God's not sending rain. God is not working out the way we want Him to. And so, what we're going to do is we're going to start worshiping some pagan gods here. Um, they're looking for lies that are comfortable. Um, to give you an example of this, um, when we sit down in front of Google." And we look up why is so-and-so evil, and then we go through ten pages of results to find the one that is exactly what we want to hear. You know what I'm talking about? 
Like we, we can easily look for things that confirm how we feel. And that's what these guys are doing. They are unhappy. They're uncomfortable. They're frustrated with God. And they say, you know, they start looking after lies. They look for lies to feed to themselves so they feel more comfortable, so they feel good. And he says, how long are you folks going to look for empty things? How long are you going to look for, for lies? Um, and they're doing just this. They're seeking after pagan gods. Um, in the first, world, first century, or in the ancient world, this would be, um, like the neighboring kingdoms that would be worshiping false gods. Like they, they, and they were, you know, hey, well, let's take this on. Um, it's oftentimes assumed that the poor did this, but actually the poor are kind of the faithful here, and it's the wealthy who are going out, like the leaders who are going out and worshiping false gods because they're, you know, well, because they are, because they want something more. They want comfort. Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call him. Um, part of what David is talking about here is um, Israel has been set apart. Israel is being dealt with in a very different way than the rest of the world. God has revealed himself to Israel. God deals with Israel directly. God has put Israel in a very special place. And David is saying, listen, you guys know that God is taking care of us. You know that God is watching out for us. You know that we're his people. You know we belong to him. Um, but you're running off the minute things get hard. Um, you're, you're cutting bait the moment things get hard. Um, if I was going to offer a comparison here... Um, Every once in a while, you'll meet somebody who's been married for 25 years, and they, they know they love each other, but like life gets a little difficult, and they walk away from each other because life is hard, right? Um, this is God is not working out the way I want, and so I'm going to abandon him. Um, it's pragmatism, and it's selfishness is kind of what he's talking about. Um, and he, he assures them again, listen. God has set us apart, and he hears us. Um, now, there's an ugly truth to this. If God is there, right? Y'all following this? There's, there's a logical succession here. If God is there, and if God is good, and if God loves us, then he's taking care of us, right? And so when you pray and it doesn't rain, sometimes God has a reason that it ain't going to rain. That's not an easy answer. That's actually kind of a hard answer, right? Like, he's saying, listen, God hears us. We're calling out to him. He's going to take care of us. He knows what's best. You've got to trust him. Um, he's watching out for Israel. Um, is, is, of course, you know, it's David talking in the ancient world. This is, this is a very contextual thing. Um, Tremble and do not sin. Now, we know this phrase really well in the New Testament. In your anger, do not sin, right? That's Paul. Um, Paul's quoting a psalm. Kind of interesting. And what he's saying is, you might be angry at God right now, right? Don't do anything stupid. Anybody? I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> anybody relate to that? Like, how easy is it to get angry at God? I mean, God has big shoulders. I mean, Job spends most of the book of Job being angry at God. But he says, listen, I know you're angry. I know you're frustrated. I know you're in this spot. Don't do anything stupid. Don't rebel. Don't run after things that don't make sense. Don't set your world on fire. Don't throw God overboard because you're angry. Um, tremble would be uh, a lot of times it, it's used when God gets angry and the earth shakes. Right? Like this is not a light anger. He's saying when you are enraged, don't be stupid. 
Don't sin in your anger. Don't rebel. Don't do this. When you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Um, There's a very specific, like, idiom in the ancient world, but it's one that relates well. Anybody ever lay in bed at night and mull things over? Really? Like, no one? (laughs) And you replay that story, and you get angrier and angrier the longer you do, and you think, you know what I could do, right? Or you know how I'm going to respond, or you know what the best thing to say next time is going to be. Um, the the phrase lay on your beds is often used in relation to um, people who are wicked, who would lay on their beds and plot wicked things against God. This is, this is you saying, listen, you're angry, and you're going to lay in bed at night, and you're going to contemplate, and your tendency is going to be to plot don't find peace in that be silent um it is a really hard thing to search your heart and to come out of it at peace isn't it it's a lot easier to search your heart find a couple of embers and throw gas on them (laughs) because being angry is fun isn't it i mean and these are folks these are again these are the wealthy people in this community and they're beginning to turn to false gods because things are going hard and they're suffering financially and everything else. And he says, listen, in this situation, be still, wait. God is on your side. He's not going to hurt you. Be patient. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. This word righteous comes around again, right? He's saying, be right before God in the way you worship him. Don't run off and worship false gods. Don't do these things that don't make sense. In fact, actually, as you offer sacrifices that are righteous, like Jesus gives us all kinds of like extra flesh to this idea, right? Where he says, listen, when you're in the temple and you go to worship God and you're there and you suddenly remember that you've got a problem, like a conflict with your brother, leave your offering. Don't even put it on the altar. Go and make it right before you come back and do your offering. Because if you're going to make an offering before God, you've got to do it right. You've got to be right before God. Um, that's uh, Isaiah. I think it's Isaiah or Jeremiah because I'm talking off the memory at the moment and, and my memory's not that good. Um, talks about this idea like, hey, you make all of these offerings, but you do them in vain. And you do your Sabbath and you do your Sabbath wrong because you are, like make all your workers work, but you take the day off. And like you, you make offering, but you make offering by stealing from your neighbor. Like, like this is not righteous offering. If you're going to bring offering, if you're going to worship, if you're going to do it, do it righteous. Have a relationship with God. Trust him. Don't chase after the thing that works. Now, I am going to try and do this succinctly, which is unlikely. Um, was it 15 years ago when I, or almost 20 years ago when I first started working in church professionally? Almost 20 years, by the way. I realized that, like, last week that I've been in ministry, almost 20 years Um, I know I look really young. Um, One of the big trends was um, the what's in it for me question in a sermon, right? So you would get up and you would talk about Jesus, and the thing you had to build in was, like, if you were going to get people to show up to your church, what's in it for me? And that's why you'll see these churches will do top ten ways to have the best, you know, marital relations ever. There are kids in the room, I'm sorry. Um, you know, and that's, it's all in the Bible. Well, it's not about Jesus at all. It's about how to use the Bible as a, you know, self-improvement book. Like, 
that's a confusion and a distraction. Um, there are other guys who do things like this. This is a uh, golly that Creflo Dollar guy who's trying to get a jet again. The the core of his preaching is if you have enough faith and you do the right things, God will give you whatever you want. Right? All your wildest dreams will come true. Um, that's chasing after a pragmatic solution. If I do these things, if I compromise in this area, I will get what I want. Um, if I worship God a different way than how he prescribes, I will get everything my heart desires. Um, and this is him directly contradicting that. He's saying, listen, listen, folks, I know you're frustrated. I know you're angry. But approach God right and do it anyway. Because if he's really God, he's God when it's raining and when it's not. Right? If he's really God and he's really worthy of being worshipped, he's really worthy of being worshipped if you're sick or if you're healthy. He's worthy of being worshipped if you're living in a mansion or if you're living on the street. He's worthy of being worshipped if you're getting along with your family, everything's going good, or if everybody hates you right now. Like, God is God, and that is a standard and an absolute, and it's true or it isn't. And, like, he's saying, listen, I know all this stuff is hard. Put all that anger aside. Let it melt off. Put it away contemplate, look inward, rest, trust God. Come to him with your right sacrifices. Do the right thing. Many, are ask, or many Lord, are asking, who will bring us prosperity? By the way, this is the thing that he's accusing them of, right? So he stopped talking to the people around him. He turns back to God and he says, Lord, all these people are asking, bring us prosperity. Let the light of your face shine on us. Fill my heart with joy when her grain and new wine abound. So he says, listen, Lord, all these guys, I don't even know what to do with these guys. They're all out there saying, I'll deal with God when he gives me what I want. Like my kid, right? Remember your kids saying this growing up? I will love you if I get cake for dessert. I will love you if I can stay up an hour later. I will love you if... And in reality, if you parent your child that way, what are you going to get? A mess. And that's step one for dealing with your kids. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> that, was, that was awful. I'm sorry. Um, the, God doesn't deal with us that way because he wants something better than spoiled brats. In reality, he's still God. In reality... If we approach him and say, God, I will be joyful in the Lord as soon as you meet the following requirements. It's not a relationship, right? That's not us following God who is God. That's us demanding God to play butler for us. In peace, I will lie down and sleep for you alone, Lord. Make me dwell in safety. So, David ends it and says, this is what these guys are saying. But, Lord, here's where I'm at. I'm going to go to sleep at night, and I know you've got me. Right? I know you keep me safe. I know you're watching out for me. Actually, there's a line elsewhere in Psalms where David says, even if I make my bed at the bottom of the ocean, which, like, the the symbolism there would be, even if I make my bed in hell, God will come and get me when the time comes. Like, because I know God is taking care of me. There's a contrast here. God of convenience. I, I had a pastor, a good friend of mine, who would call it the salad bar God. You know, you, everybody knows the salad bar, like the old country trough or 
um, one of those restaurants where you walk down and you're like, vegetables, I don't like those. (laughs) Obedience and spiritual growth, nope. But I think God should give me whatever I want. And I think I should be able to do whatever I want. And I should be forgiven whenever I... In reality, God is who he is and we deal with him like he is. And that's how relationship works. Um, One of the, the... when translation talks, uses this, you know, in this psalm, they use the word know over and over again. And it's the word know, like, um, to know your wife, meaning to, like, be intimate and close with her. Um, this psalm is about knowing God in hardship and not chasing after the other woman, right, when it's easy. Not chasing after what my anger wants me to do, what my frustration wants me to do, what my, you know, what my heart wants to drag me off to. Um, what do we do with this? I mean, because this is like, it's a short little psalm. It's compact. Um, first off, um, we can take this. We can, we can step away from it, and we can recognize um, that it can be a very dangerous thing when people tell us, do whatever you want as long as it works. Right? Um, Christianity should work for you, and if it doesn't work for you, it's not true. I mean, there are, there are people who want to reshape the faith. Oh, this is more important than being right before God. You know, getting whatever you want, being comfortable all the time. Um, yeah, there are poor people out there that we should be helping to feed, but, you know, what about all this stuff that we could have? doesn't matter what God's telling us to do. We can have what we want. We can be comfortable. We can be at ease. Um, I, I love, I love picking on guys like Joel Osteen and I'm not going to do that this morning because I got grief about that a while ago that I do it too much. He's my favorite target. Um, but these guys will say, you know, Jesus was a wealthy man and the apostles were all rich and they all lived in, and they're guys who preach that. Um, second Corinthians, uh, I, I picked this out cause it jumped out at me when I was studying the text, um, We do not want you to be uninformed. This is Paul writing a letter to Corinth. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we are experiencing in the province of Asia. This is on one of Paul's missionary journeys that is not recorded in the book of Acts. Um, We are under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we are despaired of our life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received a sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted to us in answer to the prayers of so many. What Paul is saying here, and it is like Psalm 4 nailed down, right? We're in Asia. We're poor. We're naked. We're homeless. People are trying to kill us. We are enduring hardship. We are teaching and being arrested for it. We're doing all of this work, and it is miserable, and it is hard. But you know what? God will deliver us. Jesus died for my sins the first time around, right? And if he delivered me from my sin, and he delivered me from hell, he delivered me from the wrath that I have due to me, then surely this is nothing. Isn't it true? I mean, like, think about this in connection with anything else in your life. Like, if Christ died for you, if Christ, you know, came to this earth as a human, stepped away from his glory, if he lived as one of us, if he was perfect in obedience and was punished for your sins, if he was nailed to a cross, whipped and beaten, humiliated the whole nine yards, 
all of that to save you, like, it doesn't really make sense that God would abandon us. Does that mean we can't mourn? Does that mean we can't be frustrated? Does it mean we can't be angry? Does it mean we can't be sad? No. Because actually, David says, in your anger, tremble, but don't sin. We can be angry. We can be frustrated. We can be hurt. We can be alone. We can be all of these things. But at the end of the day, we back up and we know, like David said, and like Paul says, God, here's our prayer. God knows what we're doing. And so these folks who desire to chase us off after, hey, you know, the church can accomplish great things not by being obedient to Christ, but by seizing worldly power and using a lot of money or politics or whatever, like that, that's not, that's not really as biblical as all that, is it? Like we obey Christ and that's how we change the world. We follow Jesus and that's how we impact the people around us. We preach the gospel to somebody who's lost and that's how we bring them to him, we don't use power to do it. We use, honestly, we fish, right? We are fishers of men, fishers of women, fishers of the lost. Um, pragmatism is something we need to avoid. Is my last thing here. I want to. I want to point out, um, and we're built in to do this. Anybody ever teach Sunday school or attend Sunday school? Anyway, no, don't teach. I'm sorry. Anybody ever attend Sunday school? It, it is the biggest temptation in the world when you teach Sunday school to find the moral of the story in every, like, Old Testament thing. You know what I'm talking about? And, you know, and the moral of the story is always be good. Well, the moral of the story throughout the Bible is we're, we're fallen and Jesus died for us and we're saved by trusting him, right? But we, it's so easy to turn it into this pragmatic thing. If you do these things, God will bless you. If you follow the Ten Commandments, God will bless you. If you, you know, and it, it misses the point. You know, if you earn your way to heaven, you probably ain't going to get there. For us to practice the presence of God, for us to operate in relationship with God, means following Him. It means in hardship we step over it. Um, in hardship we remember Christ died for me. And this is the first Sunday of the month. And so we're going to be doing communion today. I'm going to call my guys forward to communion, for communion, and I'm going to explain this. Like, when we're hungry, and it seems like God is 